Welcome to the Pro Wrestling Outsiders Show, where we have one-sided conversations and unsolicited opinions. Here's your host, Kyle Joseph. Welcome once again to the Pro Wrestling Outsiders Show. It is the show of one-sided conversations and unsolicited opinions. As always, I'm your host, Kyle. On today's episode, we are going to continue down the road to Money in the Bank. We are nearing the uh, the finish line with that coming up this Sunday. As well as we have the night number one of Fighter Fest. This is a follow-up to Road Rager for AEW. All that plus the power of fans in the last shot. So please stick around and I'll be right back. All right, here we go. WWE time. One episode of SmackDown left to go before Sunday's Money in the Bank. want to just talk a little bit about what I thought of the last week of wrestling, and then I'll give in my predictions of what I think might happen for Money in the Bank based on what the card says right now. Things are subject to change, especially with another SmackDown uh, left to go. You know, who knows what there is. Um, but alas, uh, here we go. So we had a uh, final Money in the Bank um, match, qualifier match between Baron and Shinsuke. I thought this might be an opportunity for Baron to start going the up and up, uh, but it looks like they're going to keep him down at the bottom uh, and continue to make fun of the fact that he was rich, powerful, kingly, and, and now he's nothing but a pauper. Um, so, again, that was a bit of a surprise to me, but in the end, I think it's something that continues to really give uh, Shinsuke an opportunity to continue to shine. Um, who you know? In all reality, we don't know how long he's going to be there for. I don't see him going anywhere else. He seems to, from what I can read, that he does love being in uh, WWE and in Florida. So I can't see him going anywhere else. But he's one of those guys that have comes and goes in terms of popularity. So this might be you know a chance to keep moving him forward. Uh, as well, we had Alpha Academy stepping it up again. I do really like where Alpha Academy is going. I think it's a testament to Chad Gable in how he's been able to push that team along as they, they meet up against various adversaries. Um, he is surprising to me, actually, how well he is in that role of a heel um, and really being the Mike of that team versus when he was in um, American Alpha and it was, he was really the rah-rah guy and then Jason Jordan was the talker and then even when they were kind of going heel, it still it wasn't really chat at the forefront um, and then I think you have to uh, appreciate the work that Otis has done to really kind of forget um, all of the heavy machinery jokey comedic stuff and he's really now just you know a pure power presence it all makes sense what he can he's capable of doing a guy of his size it all works well together so I am happy to see uh, them making the move up I would actually really like to see them uh, at the top of the title picture 
whether it's in SmackDown or Raw, it doesn't really matter. I think there's an opportunity there for them to really um, have a good run as uh, as champions. We also had an announcement that Tony Storm is coming. So I think, you know, as I've said before, I'm still trying to play catch-up with, uh, with NXT. And unfortunately, this is one of those circumstances where I would have been nice to be kind of a, a live... Uh, up to date so that any of these surprises are truly surprises for me especially as I'm watching NXT as well which also speaks to the other debut that we had which was uh, Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart joining up uh, as Knox and Shotzi and they went out and they beat Tamina and Natalia again I last time I was watching it was Ember Moon and Shotzi so obviously there's some sort of story going on that that I have to kind of get caught up on um, so that the debut wasn't really, it was more confusing to me than anything else. Um, I also don't like the fact that they beat Natalia and Tamina. I do take issue with the idea that you have these NXT stars who, despite what the public views, despite what probably people within NXT view, they're still treated as the farm team. And I don't think it makes sense to me if you have somebody coming up the ranks comes out and blows up your top talent. Um, it, it should be very rare in those circumstances, and it seems to be a frequent situation where probably 9 out of 10 times, maybe 8 out of 10 times, you have somebody that comes up from NXT and wins against somebody who's an existing WWE superstar. And I, I find that in certain circumstances, and I would take this as one of them, that you really weaken that WWE superstar's um, leverage or status by having them lose to a newcomer that doesn't really necessarily have that big of a punch. If Shotzi and and Knox, as they're called, uh, came in at any point in time and they lost and they came back and they kept fighting, it would be the same. So I don't know why you have to go out and beat the champions in your first time out. But as I said, them coming together really takes away from the surprise. It just completely adds confusion to me. So hopefully I'll be able to get caught up on NXT as quickly as possible so that and then you know, everything's smooth. Um, we also had the announcement that Bailey uh, is injured. I think she's torn ACL, torn MCL, one of those knee things. Um, and unfortunately be out for nine months, which is very unfortunate. I have said before that I really like what she's done. I think she's been a fantastic character uh, for SmackDown. So, you know, we do hope that she obviously recovers not only quickly, but you know, at a point where there's no risk for re-injury. Um, Tegan had the problem where she's been injured a couple of times in her knees, both knees, and so there's always that risk. But um, as a result, we don't have a Bianca uh, title match at Money in the Bank. Instead, we're going to have one against um, Carmella on Friday. As I'm, I'm thinking about this, I can't see Bianca losing. I can't see that the momentum they've carried with her, that she is the EST, she's the baddest of them all, that you would turn around and have her lose to Carmella. Especially as Carmella is the quote-unquote most beautiful woman in WWE. I don't know how that works with... I don't know how Bianca would recover if she if she loses uh, at this point in time. I also am not a fan of Carmella. I don't particularly like a lot of the stuff she's done for quite a while. Um, and so if she stays away from the title picture, it would certainly be uh, more beneficial for me. All right, on Raw, finished up this Monday... Um, not a whole lot to note, uh, just kind of a couple of main points. Um, Eva Marie still being here, still hate her guts, still find she's useless. When you look at the time that she was when she was all red everything, 
she was garbage then. When you take her now, she is still garbage. You can change the color of her hair. She is still garbage. I think that Piper Piven as Dewdrop is would be much more beneficial to her career if she wasn't attached to this. Um, if she was, even if she bring her to NXT instead of NXT UK, even if you were to bring her up in a different light, let her be Piper. Just don't put her again with with Eva Marie, um, because I find that Eva Marie is just gonna bring her down. Unfortunately, I don't see this ending anytime soon. Um, you generally don't make a, a big kind of entrance or, or lead up like they did for the evolution that um, would indicate that you would all of a sudden just kind of walk away from it. So clearly Vince has invested in Eva to bring her back, and uh, that's uh, truly unfortunate. While we were watching there, we, you know, we had a, a fatal four-way with the four women that are competing for the Money in the Bank uh, ladder match on the women's side. Um, it got me thinking about Naomi, and uh, and I was really, it'd be really nice to see if Naomi can get another run. I really did enjoy what she brought to the championship, both um, aesthetically when she slapped on some uh, lights to it, as well as just the 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 change, the different view, the upbeatness, like just a, a different skin or a different point of view or whatever the word I'm trying to come up with it's just it was refreshing that's probably the best way to describe it refreshing so it would be nice to see her come back uh have a run too because she's shown that she can win she's shown that she can carry the belt and you can get away from the uh who is the biggest bitch on the block who's the toughest bitch on the block who's the baddest bitch on the block whatever you want to call them just this this notion of Massive heads competing to each other. Asuka is another person that would be a fantastic champion who, again, also didn't walk around with um, with the way she carried herself. It was much more, I'm going to prove it to you in the ring. So I think it's it'd be good for a change. It'd be nice to just walk away from uh, Rhea Ripley. I'm I'm done with, with this portion of Rhea Ripley. And Charlotte Flair is such a tough position to be in. In, if she's not competing for the the women's championship, where does she fit? Because she doesn't really, because she is too big of a star. Um, and I've said this before: if there was an intermediate belt, if we offered it, you know, a, a North American title in NXT or an Intercontinental Women's title in, in the main roster, then maybe that's an opportunity for somebody to, for like Charlotte to step away from the main picture, run that side again, and then and then come back in and out. But Maybe one day, maybe one day we'll see some more belts. I think there's enough women's roster talent that we should. Um, and then I look at the other side. If I look at the women's tag titles, they're in a clear. It's very clear that they're really struggling to fit um, good enough teams together that can make sense to have a tag run. So I, I wonder if really splitting out NXT from from the main roster was really the right time and it might have been just circumstantial but I don't think there's enough women's tags teams to be able to really push this as a uh, legitimate belt and I also think that's also to the fault of of WWE and that they didn't really make it once they kind of got the ball rolling um, with the Iconics and with Sasha and Bailey, they kind of just 
stopped. They didn't really push it as the champs could be at any show and there could be any title matches and things like that. So there's certainly a better opportunity there, but they just lack the roster to to make the belt mean something. Speaking of belts, we also see that Sheamus, uh, you know, Umberto Carrillo broke his nose and he's been rocking the mask and now he's, you know, getting back into the ring. And, and what I appreciate that so far WWE does fairly well, I haven't really had a chance to see it on the AEW side, just based on circumstance, that they're able to pivot really well. So by taking these pure accident of a broken nose and moving it into the story and playing it up as to why won't you let me fight why won't you let me fight and then hey why aren't you protecting me and <clears throat> and getting his revenge on umberto and, and things like that it, it allows the story to continue moving forward without any sort of hesitation or you're looking at having to really restart everything and and doing whatever so it uh it's something to be applauded from the writer side of things and, and more importantly i think that from the superstar who can really take that and and run with it in a way that it's almost as if it was planned clearly not because nobody wants to just have their nose broken but it certainly is able to then add to your story we had another match with um ricochet and uh, john morrison and i am back on the ricochet train uh at one point in time i thought you know it's it's all too much but Showing him and John Morrison and what I, I like the Lucha style without it being too Lucha, uh, if that makes any sense. When I watch some Lucha wrestlers, they do a lot of jumping on the ropes, but in a way that it's like jumping one way and then they turn around and bounce on the rope another way and then they you know bounce a different way and they do all these things before they do the move. And there are people that do appreciate that, that style. I am not. I want you to just make it seem more natural. But the way that Ricochet carries it is that he doesn't just sit there and bounce on ropes. He uses the ropes as a platform. So whether he takes that crazy dive on uh, body splash on John Morrison over top of the the edge, or if he takes a total dive over the corner, um, in order for him to win, he did a, a body splash on John Morrison against the ladder. And so that level of, of high-flying, I do appreciate. Um, the gentleman from MKS, formerly uh, the Rascals, they're another set that do that really high-flying maneuvers, but it being much more natural and fluid. And so at this point in time, I am back on the ricochet train, so I do enjoy it. He's got a bit of a snarkiness to him that plays well to the crowd to get behind him. And... I actually been really enjoying the matches between him and John Morrison, which I was surprised in that um, I just haven't really seen a lot of John Morrison that I've enjoyed, but this has been a real big showcase. You know, to the point about Sheamus, the fact that you still have The Miz, who's there, he's involved, the fact that he's in a wheelchair, really plays things up and, and such so that they've had a really good chemistry between the three of them. Where we go from there, I'm not sure. Do I really think that Ricochet is really a um, a belt holder at this point? I can't really say. Just given the the current mix of wrestlers, I'm just not too sure 
which belt he would fit in. He's not a Rey Mysterio that can go after the title. He just doesn't have that allure, that history, that um, weight behind who he is to say, yes, I can see him beating Roman Reigns. I think that's plausible. I can see him carrying a title. Ray has always been the exception to the rule when it comes to cruiserweights. I believe he was one of the first uh, cruiserweights to hold a substantial uh, world title. And so that it carries that. That carries a lot, and it speaks a lot to his capabilities. I'm just not sure Ricochet is there at that point to really be able to say, hey, I can believe him as a world champion. Lastly, for Raw, we had... Uh, an odd segment with Bobby Lashley. I was concerned with um, with him and going after Xavier Woods and, and how that will lurk. And then for him to lose, at first I was like, oh, this is like, where do we go from here? How does this benefit any story with the fact that he lost and, and Kofi was there to watch? But he leaves, and I appreciate that he was downtrodden. He was really upset when he left. At least it shows this mattered. And then when he comes back and MVP tries to throw him parties or whatever it is, and he really pushed back on it, and I liked that. I thought it really gave me a chance that maybe he'll go back to the original Hurt Business, where, yes, they were all about the suits, but it wasn't about the girls or the partying or the VIP or the champagne or whatever. It was just about getting stuff done. And it kind of hinted at maybe maybe we'll see the end of MVP, which is both unfortunate and not unfortunate. I think when he was running the Hurt Business, his character made a lot of sense. He really kept in his pocket of helping the jet, you know, the other three get to where they need to go without overstepping or overshadowing. And since they've dropped Sheldon and Cedric. MVP has become a much louder voice, and I think that Bobby needs to be the loudest voice. Again, I've said this before, when he was the walking over to get an impact, he got to a point where he was very good in being able to carry his message through, talking on the mic, convincing people that he was badass, and, and so he doesn't necessarily need MVP, especially if there's nobody else around to, to kind of support that. So that was kind of my views, my thoughts, my opinions. Right now, we'll get to my predictions. At this current moment, there is six matches on the card. We have four championship matches in total at this point in time. The WWE Championship, the Raw Women's Championship, the Universal Championship, and the Raw Tag Team Champions. Obviously, there might be an opportunity for the men's uh, SmackDown tag teams to come in because of how Ray and Dominic uh, came up at the end of last week's episode. So there is a chance that, that a match develops uh, from that. But, I mean, obviously only time will tell. And, and unfortunately, I'm not in a position to put out another episode this weekend. So I'll talk about whatever I missed next week. So here we go. Kind of go from the bottom to the top in terms of this list that lovely Wikipedia has built for me. Um, AJ Styles and Amos versus the Viking Raiders. This has been a decent story. not Obviously not a fantastic story, and I think that's tough when you have a unnatural tag like AJ and Amos. Um, but I can't. I still can't see the Viking Raiders pulling this off. Yes, they both, you know, they won. Um, Ivar beat AJ Styles and Eric lost to Amos, but um, I think that Omas's situation is, he's too 
big and he's too quote unquote strong. And at this point in time, he's a, you know, a powerhouse that I just can't see either one of these winning. I don't know how they're going to get to that point where he doesn't. I don't know if they need somebody bigger to come up against him, who that may be. I'm not sure. But at this point in time, there will be no change in the ROG Tag Team Championship. Uh, let's go to the women's. The women's RAW, we have Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, another back and forth. They've been putting on a decent set of matches. I feel like, for some reason, it makes more sense for Rhea to be the champ and Charlotte to be the contender because Charlotte can carry herself whether she has a belt or not. Um, if Rhea doesn't own the belt, I'm not sure where she ends up. To be honest, I think that there's a risk that she will get swallowed up by the rest of the roster if she's not champion. Mainly because I haven't seen her as not as a champion. So it's, it's really hard to get a perspective of how she would perform just as a kind of every other uh, superstar. Roman Reigns versus Edge. I have been thoroughly enjoying this storyline. Edge has this extreme intensity. I never really watched Edge as a single competitor. Edge was always a long-haired Edge with Christian, started as part of the brood, then they separated, but they became, you know, this tag team force when you matched them up against the Hardys and you had to match them up against the Dudleys and, and those types of things. I never really saw him as a singles competitor, so I have no basis on how he was before. But he's a, he's a Hall of Famer, which clearly means he did a lot well uh, as a single competitor. I have enjoyed his intensity. I appreciate that in this story there isn't a Daniel Bryan or Daniel Bryan type person to insert themselves. I don't know if it was a matter of they weren't sure how he was going to perform in a singles match. But now he seems all for it. He's put in a lot of, of work. He definitely sells the part. He's believable that he could really destroy Roman Reigns. It is that possibility. Um, and so I am looking forward to this match. I still feel like Roman's going to win. I, In order for him to be the head of the table, he has to be champ. He has to be, because otherwise you're not the head of the table. And if he's not the head of the table, then where does he go? Because he really doesn't have a whole lot left, um, unless he's just going to kick the shit out of his, his cousins every uh, week in, week out, and that's kind of how he's going to turn himself the head of the table. So, again, another no uh, change in the belt. The last championship match we have is, is Bobby Lashley and versus Kofi Kingston. What interaction MVP will have, who knows? Where Xavier Wood fits in, who knows? I really thought there was a tiny chance that Kofi was going to side with MVP at one point in time, but clearly that's not going to be the case. I do remember, I don't know if it was a table for three or if it was a um, riding the car with W stars or... Uh, somewhere else that the three of them had said that they would have a hard time continuing in WWE if, the, if they broke up the three of them permanently. It's one thing to have, um, you know, we have Big E in the SmackDown, sorry, in the SmackDown side and Kofi and Xavier on the Raw side, but whenever the, the, the two shows are together, they're, they're together as well. They wear shirts with each other's faces on them. They still have the same music, so it's not um, it's not like they don't exist together. So I'm okay with that. I just don't see Kofi going with MVP, so I'm happy that didn't happen. Um, I could see Kofi actually winning this one. I really could. I think given the current mode of which Bobby is going, a surprise win from Kofi would certainly not 
surprise me. Um, or rather, shocking for Kofi to win wouldn't surprise me. If he does, Bobby wins it back very quickly. Um, there does need to be, I think, another competitor that really should be bumping up against Bobby. Somebody of a similar stature. Drew was good because of a size-wise. It was really anything could happen. Um, I would still love for a Brock Bobby. I think there are some interesting stuff they could do with that, both with their mixed martial arts backgrounds, plus the back, fact that they're jacked uh, gentlemen. Uh, so there could be a lot, of, a lot of fun with that one. But I'm not too sure if that will ever happen just based on on how things are going. So that leaves us with the two Money in the Bank ladder matches. So we have on the women's side, Asuka, Naomi, Alexa Bliss, and Nikki Ash, A-S-H, almost a superhero. Just clue that in. I've actually never seen Nikki Ash written out, and now it makes 100% sense to me. Because last week I said I don't understand why they keep calling her, why they call her Nikki Ash instead of Nikki Cross. But now it makes total sense to me. I feel like an idiot. Nikki, A-S-H, Ash, almost a superhero. Uh, versus Liv Morgan, Zelina Vega, Natalia, and Tamina. They went down an odd route on the women's side to have tag team matches and those decide um, who's going to come in with the exception of Liv Morgan and Zelina Vega, which is also an odd choice when she came back and instantly put her in the match. I wish it's one of those things where there was maybe a little bit of a lead up before that happened. Um, but instead just to have her come out. When I look at this, I have to think that you're looking at either Oscar or Alexa as really your two choices to win. Um, everybody else, while it could be a possibility, where you take them from there is a different story. Like I said before, I'd love Naomi to win because uh, I'd like to see her back in the championship picture. History would say that it's either going to be Oscar uh, or Alexa. And in this case, I think I would go with Oscar because Alexa still has more story to go with Nikki, not Nikki, sorry, Naya and and Shayna, which also includes Nikki somewhere in that mix. So I'm going to say Asuka grabs the, the briefcase, runs the show, but she doesn't cash in on Sunday. On the men's side, we have Ricochet, John Morrison, Riddle, a.k.a. Matt Riddle, Drew McIntyre, Big E, Kevin Owens, calling him Kin Nakamura, it'll be Shinsuke for me, and Seth Rollins. This is going to be a super interesting match because there's a lot of varying styles ricochet and john morrison are going to put on some high flying stuff riddle riddle can uh drew mcintyre and biggie are more of your heavy lifters uh kevin owens is always fantastic to watch he kind of can do both he does a little bit of that daredevil stuff but also um you know brawling style shinsuke is less so much on the ring on the ropes but um can certainly bring a new attitude and then seth rollins is is another one of those versatile guys I'm, I, I feel like, and I'm really hoping that I'm going to really enjoy this match because I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I would like to say that Big E is going to win because that's really, I think, an opportunity for him to really push things. But my heart of hearts says that it, it could very well be Drew McIntyre. Um, just because. Um, but if I have to be, to be honest with myself... Seth Rollins, I think, will win, and he will start a storyline with Roman Reigns again. Again, though, I don't think he'll cash in on Sunday. I don't think we have enough really deep in storyline between the potential winners and the champions that cashing it in Sunday wouldn't have the same effect that if they had waited. So that's being said, that runs the gamut of my WWE for this week. 
Next week, we will go back and review what happened on SmackDown that led up to the Money in the Bank and then how I felt Money in the Bank went as a whole. All right, up next, we are going to have a brief update on the NXT road to getting caught up. So please stay tuned. I will be right back. All right, my journey to get caught up in the NXT space continues. I am partway through May 25th's episode, which will feature Cross versus Balor 2, as well as Cameron Grimes finally encountering WWE Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase. I have been enjoying their back and forth. Uh, it reminds me of how fantastic of a character the Million Dollar Man was back in the day. I did get a kick out of uh, Cameron Grimes showing the videos of all of the times that it didn't go well. For the Million Dollar Man. So I am looking forward to that face-to-face uh, -face interaction. But we take a step back to where I'm currently at. Or rather what I've seen so far. There's only a couple things to note. There's not a whole lot. Um, just because there hasn't really been anything that stands out. As a... Uh, I don't know. A thought in my mind. So a couple items. One, uh, I'm Kyle O'Reilly continues to move forward. Uh, at some point in time, he obviously will meet up with Adam Cole again. I'm not actually liking the way that they're moving Kyle O'Reilly along. Um, I thought there was a bit of charisma to him while he was still part of the Undisputed Era when he had taken that time off. Um, I liked him as the standing up against Adam Cole and, and fighting back, but now I just, his demeanor doesn't make sense to me. Um, this odd cockiness, um, as well as the you know the hats and the glasses and, and the mannerisms it just I prefer him to be definitely on the mic more than he was part of uh, Undisputed Era but more grittier more less flash more I'm gonna kick the shit out of you I'm gonna say it and then I'm gonna do it but I'm not gonna be a dink about it uh, so hopefully as you know his singles run grows that he'll fall more into well I hope he does falls more into something that I like uh, at this point, I don't care what anybody else likes, but what I like, because it's my show and I can say what I want. Uh, the only other thing that I wanted to talk about was the uh, North American Championship match between Bronson Reed and Johnny Gargano that took place in a steel cage. I really enjoyed the match, and I was a bit surprised because Bronson Reed hasn't been my favorite uh, since he's joined, um, and but his and he's a diff way different, obviously different size between the two, so you never really know. Um, I like the thought Austin Theory stepped in, but didn't come and really take over the match, didn't get into the cage, didn't, you know, do those kinds of things. Um, Johnny Gargano did a crazy flip over powerbomb, which was, which was pretty incredible and uh, super fun to watch. But in the end, Bronson Reed wins. And if, if I think about it, when, he, since he's come back and they've kind of utilized this Godzilla type, uh, persona for him with his entrance music and whatnot, and that really works. It really, really works because he just he absorbs it and he and he moves off of it. And it also helps that he does things a man his size shouldn't do. And when they do the tsunami and he takes a you know a splash out the top rope, and even as a fan, and I'm aware that there is things that you can do to not kill someone. You do that. I still can't figure out how he doesn't kill someone. Uh, just the sheer size and the way he lands, and it it looks. Painful every time, yet somehow they get up, which obviously means it's it's uh, it's not that bad, but it's still fantastic to watch. I do liken him to Otis in the way that Otis is going now, reinventing himself, but also 
doing things that a regular individual of their size doesn't normally do within the ring. And I think it's important that we do have those types of characters that can do jaw-dropping things without doing crazy things just because they their size dictates they shouldn't be able to. So I'm interested to see how it goes, how Bronson Reed as champion works. Uh, it was obviously a very touching moment when he won. Um, I think it speaks to, to the effort he's put in. Uh, and so I, I do look forward to seeing how his championship run comes. Is Gargano still involved? Or are we seeing the last of him in that respect? Uh, and, then we're, and then we're moving forward from there. Uh, we also have the... Uh, at the time, we had champions between uh, with the way, and so that whole quattro uh, is still on the fence with me of how I really, um, really want to understand it or like it. So again, it's a story that's available. It's one of the main focus points that's outside of the actual championship runs. So we'll get lots of it, and maybe my opinion will change over time, but maybe it won't. So like I said, that wasn't really a whole lot for NXT this week. Um, I just didn't have a chance to watch a lot of it. So my hope is that I will get to a point where I can get myself caught up even more. Being that it is the 15th of July, if I put Math Hat on, it's about seven episodes behind. So there is nothing to say that by the end of, by the next episode of this show, I will be pretty close to getting caught up. Hopefully. So we'll see how it goes, uh, and uh, hopefully I'll have more to talk about in more, because more things are catching my attention in the NXT space, but uh, that is it for now. So up next, we are going to do night one of Fighter Fest in AEW, so please stay tuned, and I'll be right back. All right, AEW's follow-up to Road Rager is night one of Fighter Fest. So I think we're going to continue with these mini pay-per-views until they really get the full swing of the live shows. Um, I'm assuming at some point in time down the road, these will become more of established um, set in time as opposed to just kind of one after the other or, or whenever they fall in. So we started off with the uh, IWGP US title, which was a decent match between um, John Moxley and Machine Gun Carl uh, Anderson. It's an odd situation to sit here and watch a title match without any story. And more specifically, and this happened before when, when, when Moxley had, had done it earlier, is that what does the belt mean for anything that's going on in that show? Unless you follow IWGP, specifically on the US side, no idea what this title means, represents. I mean, Johnny Moxley's had it for over a year. So, and so, again, this is another one of those situations where unless you're a hardcore fan and you're constantly watching, you really have nothing invested in this. It's simply, is it a good match or not a good match? And, and Moxley winning in the end um, was okay. And you know, it, like I said, it was a decent match, but nothing of any significant value for me. One of the other odd uh, championship matches we had was for the FTW uh, versus... Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. Um, the title is stupid. They even kind of acknowledge that nobody acknowledges this t this title. It's a Taz thing. It's always been a Taz thing. And the whole match was just so peculiar because 
in all of these battles that Ricky Starks and Brian Cage have had since I've started watching it, Taz has flip-flopped on either side, but even in this match, he flip-flopped, and he was talking about how it's, you know, it's important to to share, you know, to brothers to fight this out, and this, that, and the other, but over the course of the match, he really started to slide away from Brian Cage, and then obviously based on the outcome uh, and the fact that Brian lost the belt in a, again, unrecognized championship, that this should be the end of Brian Cage as part of this group. If he stays in, it it makes zero sense and and really just, I don't know, puts it on a, a, in a sour note. I'm not a huge fan of Brian Cage. Uh, I can appreciate his strength. It's not my jam, but that's okay. I do think, though, if he sticks around in this Taz situation, um, it's just going to, he'll just get buried in that kind of storyline and won't really make himself out to, you know, face Miro in the... Um, in the TNT space uh, of championships. Speaking of Miro, he had another uh, promo, which was just fantastic. He, this is the things that he never did in WWE. He never had, and probably doesn't have the flexibility or the freedom, but he has really, really come into his own and defining his character, defining his dominance, and really speaking to the things that make it believable. That you watch him and you go like, yep, yep, he could definitely murder all these people. I totally believe that. And bringing in the kind of righteous champion, righteous warrior, it just adds to his his total persona and the way he carries himself. So I really do wish that they will keep the belt on him if this belt is going to kind of continue to be more of a standalone than, than a stepping stone, then having Miro as your champion in these types of situations works fantastically. Uh, we did have a... Um, a meetup between Cody and uh, Tommy End uh, slash Malachi Black. Uh, again, we're in this kind of weird situation where Cody refers to both of them. Um, not sure how that all is going to continue. Um, but one thing I noted, and there's no way it was an accident, was Cody wearing all white and Al uh, Alistair, sorry, sorry, uh, wrong promotion, uh, Malachi Black wearing all black. And it was really uh, well done, as it really contrasts. While Cody is America, you know, is the American nightmare. He is clearly the American hero, uh, and that's how he has been for quite some time. And so, him facing off against Alistair Black, and I think that that's gonna they're gonna put on some good shows together. But the con contrasting suits really, really struck a chord with me, and really, really emphasized the the polarizing characters that they are or that they will be. So we're moving forward with this. Um, I expect good things. I want a proper buildup. I want to really look forward to that match where they truly face each other. I don't want it to be just on a regular Wednesday edition AEW. Obviously, it's never been AEW dark. But, um, you know, I want it to really mean something because I think they could really do something with this. Um, we had a Rampage promo, which I'm still... You know, it was neat. Some good graphics in there. I'm still interested to see what this show is going to represent. Is this a more formalized AEW Dark, so it's actually on TV? Or is this going to be um, totally different style of matches? Are we going to get less? Is it going to be grittier? And You know, all these question marks coming. So I am looking forward to see what they're going to do with this and how this will complement the existing 
shows they have, as well as will it ever compete with SmackDown? Right now it's not. It's uh, taking place after SmackDown at 10 o'clock, but we'll see. You know, Tony Khan wants to be a little more adventurous. So for now, it won't be competition, which isn't a silly bad thing on either side, um, but only time will tell. We did uh, we did kind of line up a match, uh, five on five, the Elite versus the Dark Order slash uh, Hangman Page, who kind of hinted that he was part of the Dark Order now. I'm looking forward to this one. As much as I find the Elite to be absolutely annoying, um, the notion that the Dark Order could be champions just warms my heart. Um Plus, they're such contrasting people, and the five-on-five five can really lend itself to to some different pairings and some interesting spots. And so hopefully, they put on a good match. In the end, that's really the hope, is that it's worth watching. And so we'll see how it goes. There is a stipulation. If the Dark Order wins, then both Paige gets his title shot, and then the Dark Order gets their tag shot. And if they lose, then they lose them. Um, so I can't imagine the Elite are going to lose. There's too much momentum with Paige right now being the number one contender. But in the end, my hope is for a, a great match. We did have... Uh, the other kind of note before I get to the final one is the Matt Hardy versus Christian uh, grudge match. Um, this is one of those ones I find is really hard because we know them. And we know them from back in the day. And... If this was back in the day, you'd be all over this match. And you'd want them to have ladders, and you'd want them to jump off things and and do it else. Or, But now they're not. Now they're late 40s, early 50s, and so they can't do some of those things. So while I applaud the effort they both put in, it is hard to not think about how they are not who they used to be. It, uh, I, I liken it to, and maybe not so bad, but... Undertaker and Kane versus Sean and Triple H at Great Royal Rumble, I think it was, one of the Saudi Arabia shows. Um, when you look at it, they clearly weren't where they were normally or where they should be or, or what they could have done. Had this been a match back in the day, it would have been the similar idea that if they had Sting versus The Undertaker. just wouldn't work now. So this one was okay. Again, I applaud them for, for trying to do their best, but when you have the comparison of them from back in the day, it to me, it's harder to separate the two. And so at some moments, it looked like two old guys beating each other canes uh, at the old folks' home. So I know I'm being harsh, and maybe I have no right to say it because I have no ability whatsoever to do anything they do. But as a fan and as a person who has a mic, I can say what I want and nobody can listen. So, that is that. I mean, I don't, where we go from there, I'm sure there'll be more to do with them. I, you know, We had this Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus come out to help him while the, you know, Matt Hardy and company um, tried to, to turn, what, you know, turn a fast one on him. So, this is obviously not going away anytime soon. Maybe we'll get a different match out of them. You know, we'll see. But at this point in time, it's not a terrible storyline, so I don't mind watching it. Last but not least, we do have the main event. This was one I was absolutely looking forward to. Ollie Go Ethan Page versus Darby Allen in a casket match. Here's where I I here's where I stand on it. There was a couple spots that were really good. Getting the you know Ethan doing the Eagle's Edge onto the steel steps looked bloody painful. 
well-timed, uh, well-landed for, for Darby. He hit it probably in the best way he could without, you know, really hurting himself. Um, we had some, you know, other spots where they were up in the crowd that worked out really well. They had, um, even when Scorpio Sky surprises them in the casket and, and Sting steps in and, and such like that. Um, and I would even say even near the end, the eye raking was really where Darby should be going in order to kind of defeat somebody like Ego is, you know, going down to his level, but you know, even more something that doesn't require a whole lot of strength to really try and sell. Um, but I, I didn't think it was very good in, in hindsight. If I look at it and if I look at mainly the ending, um, yes, the eye gouging, but to do a weird um, skateboard move where you hit him in the back and he falls over and we're supposed to be convinced that that was enough um, and he closed the casket um, and that was it. And yes, he did a uh, coffin dive onto the coffin, which at least that, I mean, it broke through and, and it was something. But um, I think part of the problem right off the hop is when I think casket match, and I've said this before, it's Undertaker. I don't know how you not... But there's a whole lot of fanfare behind it. There's a whole thing behind it. There's a whole image. There's a whole feeling of the dead man and a casket and the music, the lighting, the scenery. Everything is is all built around that idea that you're in a cemetery or you're you know putting someone in the grave. Rolling a casket out and just sitting next to the ring without anything else just didn't have the same luster um, or or intrigue for me or it didn't provide any sort of significance. It was just simply a means to an end. They could have had a false count anywhere match. It would have been the same thing. They could have had a no holds barred. They could have had all these other types of matches that the casket was irrelevant. But I feel like if they had built up the story maybe a little bit more or AEW is in an opportunity to really make something of it in more than just simply here's a match on a Wednesday night that maybe that could have been more, but if I'm looking back on it, the casket was just there. Insignificant to anything else other than closing the lid, it rings the bell, and, that, and that's it. So it's the same thing as a pin, really, um, in terms of how they operated. We do have week two coming up, uh, obviously next week, and we'll see what happens there. There's obviously more action to come of that. So hopefully we'll get some more uh, solid matches out of it, some more interesting storylines uh, as we move forward into whatever the next pay-per-view is for AEW. I'm still learning the calendar uh, and how it all operates. But again, I'm on board with AEW now. I'm, I'm looking forward to matches. I'm looking forward to stories. I'm looking forward to the next week. And I think that's really important to show that it's worth watching. If you want to watch pure matches, that's fine. But you can watch that anywhere. You can go on YouTube. You can go on uh, Independent Wrestling TV or whatever else it is. And you can just watch straight matches. So when you want the complete package, you want to be able to look for and say, man, I can't wait for next week to see this. Or I can't wait to this pay-per-view to see this. And so for me, AEW is in a good spot for me that I can now look forward to it each and every week. So that's it. That's all for AEW for this week. Um, and so after this, we're going to close up things with the last shot, and then we'll send you on your way.
All right, we're nearing the end of the show. It is last shot time. I just wanted to take an opportunity to really discuss the power of a fan. Uh, and I say this because I just, and I posted it on Twitter today. I posted, I retweeted. Um, this men posting kind of their video of their lead up to getting back to live audiences. And when I add that to the, um, the video that AEW did for Daily's Place, um, and when you look at all these moments and how much the fan dictated how special that moment was. And if I look back at, if I look specifically at WWE, just because I have more experience with it, when you look at the Yes movement, where would that be without fans? When I look at um, the interactions with Kurt Angle, with John Cena, and when, you know, Stone Cold glass breaks or all these things and and you look at it and you say hey like this makes a massive massive difference even stars coming back edge coming back out of nowhere to join the royal rumble would be lackluster if it was done without a live audience it'd just be oh my god it's edge but there'd be nobody to talk about it there'd be nobody to to make a point of it you'd have that pumped in music but that pumped in music or sound isn't the same as a as a surprised audience and so by having a live audience to see him come back just further adds to it, adds to the how special it was, how big of a moment it was. Another one that comes to mind, if I think about it, is the return of the Hardy Boys. While, while we missed out on a really opportunity to carry through um, the Broken Matt Hardy, and that's fine, but nobody, at least nobody I knew, anticipated them to come back. And when that music hit, that entire audience, that 80,000 or whatever it was people erupting at how big of a moment that was, shows that when the fan is on board, it can be super special. In the same side of it though, when the fan is not on board, they can really ruin things. And there's been a couple of pay-per-views in the past where if the fans aren't behind it, they just it just doesn't work. It, it sucks the air out of the audience. It sucks the air out of the arena. And it really downplays it, especially when you're not there. Because that's the other thing. We as fans at home rely on the audience to really help us be there, experience it, and, and imagine that we're there. And so when they make a loud noise and they are really into it, then, then we can join in on that. Um, but if they're going to be too stickler or too tough on the, on the, on the superstars, and, and then it's really hard. It's really hard to get behind that as an audience member at home. And so I think that comes that, that there's um, there's an onus on the fan. There's a level of responsibility, and, and you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And that is the fan can dictate, and for good or bad, where that match goes, where that character goes, where that promotion goes. If we look at historically, um, Rock versus Hogan, in that you know Hogan was supposed to be the bad guy and Rock was supposed to be the good guy, and the, and in during the match the fans change the fans forced the change and and it resulted in a fantastic match one that would have probably showed up differently had they carried through against what the fans wanted um if i look at um you know john cena and how he is cena sucks and how he carries that through as a character and really interacts with the crowd and it just leverages them and continues to bring everybody together. But if there was nobody to cheer for John Cena as who as he being, you know, the guy that John is, then it's a much less impactful uh, interaction because 
then he's just continuously fighting with the crowd versus having half the crowd on his side and half the crowd not on his side and being able to let the crowd battle each other. And he just absorbs that in the middle. Um, so yeah, so sometimes the fans can do a great job of helping out. And it's key that they help out because if they continuously go against what, they're, what the, the promotion is trying to accomplish, then everything just breaks down. But at the same time, I've been there. Roman Reigns gets the shit booed out of him. Constantly. Up until he became back as, you know, the head of the table. There was opportunities where the WWE could have really, really captured that. And it would have carried through as good as it is now. If they just gave in. Sometimes you just have to give in. The yes movement was a result of the of WWE giving in to what the fans wanted, which was Daniel Bryan as champion. It worked out well for everybody. Kofi Mania, another example. People want to see Kofi win. They wanted it. They wanted it. They pushed it through. Everyone enjoyed the journey, and then he wins. Everyone loves it. Then the crowd's over with it, and so therefore Kofi's over. Like, that's fine. But I still think the most perfect opportunity existed, and he even showed it in the video that they that it released. Had Roman turned heel at the mo, you know, the Raw after he beat Taker at WrestleMania would have been the perfect moment because even what he said was a perfect heel moment, and the crowd ate it up and dished it out the way that you'd want them to. Him saying, this is my yard now, mic drop, boo upon boos upon boos, would have been a great opportunity to to turn him heel and everyone's on board. All the fans are on board. Everyone's going to boo the crap out of him. It'd be such a big moment. But it shows that that's what the fans can do. That fans can really take something. And if they really are dedicated to it, they can really go against Mr. Man and drive something they want. But again, they have to play along. To some extent, you have to play along. Otherwise, especially the audience at home, really suffers with trying to battle what the promotion wants versus what the fans want. And sometimes the fans win and sometimes they don't. But if they don't get along, it's really uh, an unenjoyable experience. So far, AEW hasn't had that. They definitely, you can see the impact that fans have had on moments there. Um, special debuts, certain matches, things like that. For AEW, one of the biggest points is entrances. Whether it's Jungle Boy, whether it's um, Moxie's Wild Thing, obviously Chris Jericho's is a massive one, that the crowd really absorbs everything that's going on and they and they spit it all out in enjoyment. They haven't really had an opportunity yet to really go against uh, Tony Khan and his vision. That may never happen, it will happen, but um, it still shows that they have, even in that space, they have a lot of power I just hope that they under that fans understand that and they help move things along instead of being roadblocks. So that kind of it. That's it for me. Again, I'm all for the fan interaction and I think it's one of the most joyous things about wrestling. It's just they have to be careful with the power that we are giving them to change and mold how our wrestling exists. That's it. That's all. Thank you so much for uh, for sticking around and listening to my voice for better part of an hour. Next week, again, we will hit Fighter Fest Night Two. We will have Money in the Bank review. Hopefully, I'll have more NXT to get caught up on, and uh, and that'll be that. So, thank you once again. This is Kyle here, as per always. 
Everyone enjoy the rest of your week, and we will talk again next week.